We all had one particular adage drilled into our heads since kindergarten. Practice makes perfect. This adage, unfortunately, is 100% false. It's perfectly wrong. If we practice the wrong way, we develop the wrong habits. If I mindlessly shoot 50 basketball free throws without the same level of concentration I'll need in the game, then I'm potentially developing bad habits. It's one small step for man. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they are I have a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Thank you for joining us for today's Super You podcast. I am your host, Eric Quaman. Most of you know me as Equal Man. Most of you also know we're giving away for free. That's right. We love you guys so much. So here's what we're doing. On today's podcast, you're going to hear a snippet from my new book, The Focus Project. So many of us know someone that's wrestling with focus right now. So we thought it'd be cool to give away our book for free. We thought it'd help people out. So this is a small snippet from the book. It's small. and We're testing out different lengths. So let us know which length you prefer Feel free to go back and listen to the other free podcasts, free snippets of the book that we've given out. They're all labeled number one, number two. We can't thank you enough for listening to the show. And we hope that you're enjoying this free version of the snippets we're putting out there on the Focus Project. And we hope it's helping you focus on the big things versus the busy things and helps you get through these challenging times. So without further ado, here's the latest snippet from the Focus Project. Chapter 7, Creativity. The purpose of this project is getting us to a place where we are focusing on activities that bring us joy. There are some things in life we just have to do, for example, taxes. But otherwise, if it doesn't bring us joy, why are we doing it? Ironically, when we're doing what we enjoy, we start to focus. Some call it getting into the zone or flow. A fundamental concept of creativity, including building a company, forming a team, writing a screenplay, or engineering a car, is that we were raised with a falsehood. When we were younger, most of us learned to play an instrument and or practice the sport. We all had one particular adage drilled into our heads since kindergarten, practice makes perfect. This adage, unfortunately, is 100% false. It's perfectly wrong. If we practice the wrong way, we develop the wrong habits. If I mindlessly shoot 50 basketball free throws without the same level of concentration I'll need in the game, then I'm potentially developing bad habits. NFL Super Bowl winning quarterback Drew Brees understood the concept of proper practice. One of his wide receivers, Marcus Colston, provided insights. The biggest thing I remember about Drew is how OCD he was about everything. He's the repetition guy. They've got to be perfect reps. We would run these routes until he felt they were good to go for the game. I can remember him keeping his routine very similar every day. And when he got out of that routine, it would noticeably throw him off. At first you think it's funny, but then you realize and see how much success he's had. You see how those things play a part in that and it becomes something you admire. That's something I've learned from him, getting in that routine, sticking to it. Now I understand if you get off of that, how it affects my play. It's certainly something that rubbed off on me. Too often, we're going through the motions, not practicing properly, because we think it's something we should be doing, or it's something our parents think we should be doing, 
or our boss or society. Here's the thing. Everyone can see that we are just going through the motions. The only person you're fooling is yourself. And that's the worst person to fool. Whether a school teacher or a CEO, we often fall into these traps. Don't go through the motions this hour, during this day, in this life. Practice doesn't make perfect. Instead, in your creative endeavors, embrace the mantra, proper practice leads to progress while improper practice leads to problems. The main problem is that you're developing bad habits that can become permanent. One of the easiest ways to practice properly is to do what brings us joy. Famous mythologist Joseph Campbell calls it following your bliss. Money can't buy joy and money can't buy time. A significant goal of this project is determining ways to better manage time, freeing up capacity for creative thinking. Bill Gates once wrote that one of the greatest things he learned from Warren Buffett is how to properly value time. I can buy anything I want, but I can't buy time, says Buffett. There are only 24 hours in everyone's day, and Warren has a keen understanding of this constraint. He doesn't let his calendar get filled up with useless meetings. This frees up time for meetings that he does value, developing relationships. He is willing to use this time to work with people that matter most to him. He is very generous with his time for the people he trusts, says Gates. During a joint interview, Gates recalls seeing Buffett's little paper calendar and appointment book for the first time. Buffett handed his little book to the reporter for examination. There's nothing in it, said the surprised reporter, flipping through the book. Absolutely, replied Buffett. It's very high tech. Be careful. You might not understand it, Gates joked. The reporter flipped to a week in April and mentioned there were only three entries listed for the entire month. Oh, there will be four, maybe by the time April arrives, indicated Buffett. You know, I had every minute packed and thought that was the only way you could do things, said Gates. But Warren taught me the importance of giving yourself time to think. You control your time, says Gates. Sitting and thinking may be a much higher priority than a normal CEO, where there are all these demands and you feel like you need to go and see all these people. It's not a proxy of your seriousness that you fill every minute in your schedule. This is yet another instance of comparative trading. Leaving most of his calendar blank allows Buffett to spend time with the people that matters most to him, like Gates. It also allows time for deep thinking. Richard Branson agrees with Gates and Buffett. Open your calendar and schedule time just to dream, recommends Branson. Put in your diary like you would a meeting. Far too many people get weighed down in doing and never take the time to think and feel. Take five minutes, an hour, a day, or even a holiday. If you free up some time to think freely, you'll be able to see the bigger picture much easier. Emma Sapala, the science director of Stanford University's Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, confirms what Buffett and Branson have discovered. From Vincent van Gogh on through Kanye West, the figure of the broody, tortured artist looms large in the popular imagination. But research suggests that the key to creativity has little to do with angst. But the biggest breakthrough ideas come often from relaxation, says Sapala. History shows that many famous inventors come up with novel ideas while letting their minds wander. Simply put, creativity happens when your mind is unfocused, daydreaming, or idle. This is why we have so many eureka moments in the shower. Scheduling idle time or time for blue sky thinking can be the most productive use of our schedule. 
I know firsthand that it helps free my mind when writing a book or a script. Comparative trading also works for my writing. If I'm on a 15-hour flight to Vietnam, I'll spend much more time writing than binge-watching episodes of the latest binge-worthy series. Don't get me wrong. I just mentioned how important downtime is, and I can binge with the best of them. It's just balance. For example, instead of binging on 10 episodes, I'd watch two. A eureka moment for me occurred when I realized that while we weren't wasting time, we were being wasteful with our time. This is a big distinction. We weren't being lazy, but we were ending up in the same place as someone being lazy. We weren't reaching our goals. Worse, we weren't doing what we enjoyed. We were falling into a trap. We were mistaking activity for progress. Talking over texting. We had a creative call scheduled with a big automotive client based on the East Coast. I was in San Francisco scheduled to join Condoleezza Rice on stage mid-morning, so the call was early morning. While at the hotel gym, my team texted that our client meeting canceled. Hallelujah, 45 minutes were given back to me. The team began texting me about any direction we potentially lacked from the client as a result of not having the call. I read these texts while exercising on a spin bicycle. Should we send a note to the client? What should the note say? Our team is young, amazing, and prefers texting over talking, which is effective for some items, but not great when a phone call would solve the issue more quickly or an email would be a better tool. I looked at my watch and realized we'd been texting back and forth for 50 minutes. It would have been more efficient to have had the actual meeting. Training my mouth and sometimes my thumbs to respond no was easier said than done. Every question doesn't warrant an immediate answer, or an answer for that matter. I need to pause and ask myself, does this require a response? Often the answer is no. Or if it does require a response, I'll now type, if my response requires more clarity, please give me a call. Eureka moment. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. From bourbon to Instagram. Instagram founder Kevin Systrom recalls a critical moment in Instagram's life cycle. Instagram was originally a check-in app called B-U-R-B-N, pronounced bourbon. Bourbon was failing and was running out of cash. They were planning on laying off all their employees and shutting down. Users weren't interested in using any of the features the app provided, with the exception of one feature. Users enjoyed posting stylized photos of what they were doing. This was very similar to the concept of Twitter at the time, but instead of texted tweets, these were status updates via pictures only. After all, a picture speaks a thousand words. When failing, we often default to an additive mindset, somewhat analogous to adding more chairs to the deck of the Titanic. When bourbon was sinking, the founders did the exact opposite. They started stripping everything away. Metaphorically, they started tossing chairs off the ship's deck. It wasn't easy. The founders struggled with destroying their baby. They had spent considerable time, money, and emotion making bourbon. Stripping away these features was painful. However, they did it. They removed everything but the photo's feature. People thought they were crazy, including people close to Sistrum. One evening, he was walking on the beach with his wife, and he asked her if she was excited about the new app. They hadn't yet named it Instagram. His wife said, I probably won't use it. And Sistrum said, why is that? Well, my photos just don't look as nice as yours or your friends. Oh, ours are only looking better because we use filters. 
Then the wife replied, well, maybe you should add filters to your new app. Then I might use it. That evening, Systrom coded the first Instagram filter, XPro2. Systrom recalls, if you're good at one thing, that's all that matters. Successful entrepreneurs fail at many things. Then they focus on the one thing that works. Doing that one thing really, really well takes care of the rest. Be the best at one thing and forget the rest. People loved the filters and Instagram's popularity exploded. So much so that their server was overwhelmed with the amount of traffic. They needed to get another server too to handle the massive increase in data. There was simple coding available they could copy and paste to keep the data organized, but instead they went with a more powerful software solution. This software was considered the best available to handle the traffic surges they were experiencing. However, it turns out the software was extremely difficult to implement. After a few weeks, despite all the time they were pouring into it, it still wasn't functioning properly. After a few days, Systrom's co-founder and top programmer took two hours to write a simple code to resolve the solution. Systrom realized he'd made his life complex for no reason. He should have done the simple code from the beginning and saved a lot of time, hassle, and money. Despite this, Instagram continued its rapid growth. Systrom, along with only 13 employees, sold Instagram to Facebook for $1 billion, roughly $77 million per employee. Many years later, Systrom reflected on the key to their success. People, in general, tend to make life more complex than it needs to be. Game of Thrones One of the most commercially successful fiction writers of this century attributes much of his success to staying entrenched in the last century, especially regarding technology. Graduating from Northwestern with a degree in journalism in 1971, George R.R. Martin didn't release his first novel until 13 years later. His fourth book was an absolute disaster, and the author knew it. He explains that disaster. Destroyed my career as a novelist at the time. From there, he managed to scrape a living writing for television before revisiting fiction writing again in 1991. Millions of words later, he became famous. He penned the fantasy series, A Story of Fire and Ice. The first book in the series is called A Game of Thrones, which later became one of the most popular shows of all time. Martin is closing in on two million words and continues to write using a program that is so antiquated that most of us have never heard of it. In fact, the program he uses, WordStar 4.0, was invented in 1977. It was last updated in 1999, last century. Martin uses a DOS machine, yes, think green screen with no internet capabilities and no distractions. The office he works in isn't even connected to the main house. However, the simplicity of the program and approach allows Martin to focus. As he explains, So here's the thing. I'm a dinosaur, as all my friends will tell you. A man of the 20th century, not the 21st. Yes, I have been using a computer for 20 years now, but while I cruise this interwebby thing with a PC and Windows, I still do all of my writing on an old DOS machine running WordStar 4.0, the Duesenberg of word processing software. Very old, but unsurpassed. I have my website, which someone else runs for me, and I have this LJ account, the blog that I vainly called my not-a-blog in hopes that might prevent me from actually blogging. But that's it. I'm not on Facebook. I am not on Twitter. I will not be on the next new thing that comes along. 
I have neither the time, energy, or the inclination to get on any of this social media myself. There's way too much on my plate. This type of focus helps Martin. The iconic map Martin created for the series helps establish and define the drama through spatial recognition and topography. Readers are able to embrace the fascinating geography of Westeros and the free cities. For such an involved and intricate world, mapping it out must have taken forever, right? Through the proper focus, Martin drew the map in about 30 minutes. This certainly doesn't mean that Martin doesn't struggle with focus. While fans clamored for the final two books in the series, Martin kept missing deadlines. The show producers had to finish the television series to the best of their ability. Martin gave insight into his struggle when, despite his best intentions, the rise in popularity of the show meant the time demands of the modern world started to close in on him. Writer's block isn't to blame here. It's distractions, he said. In recent years, all of the work I've been doing creates problems because it creates distractions. Because the books and the show are so popular, I have interviews to do constantly. I have travel plans constantly. It's like suddenly I get invited to travel to South Africa or Dubai, and who's passing up a free trip to Dubai? I don't write when I travel. I don't write in hotel rooms. I don't write on airplanes. I really have to be in my own house, undisturbed to write. Through most of my life, nobody bothered me. But now everyone bothers me every day. Creative visual cues turning paper clips into $200,000. Creativity doesn't just apply to fields like writing, music, and the arts. When we shift our focus, we can infuse creativity into everything we do. This particular story from James Clear in Atomic Habits caught my attention. Grabbing 120 paper clips could increase your salary by $200,000. Don't believe it? Someone proved it as far back as 1993. All it took was a little creativity. In Abbotsford, Canada, stockbroker Trent Dyersmid, 23, started his first day of work with no particular indication of a successful future. Others around him had more experience and were located in affluent areas. But what Dyersmid had was a plan. In his first week, the young man casually placed a jar on his desk and filled it with 120 paper clips. He pulled out another empty jar and placed it next to the first jar. Both jars were within reach. Every morning, Trent would greet his jars and begin making outbound sales calls. He wouldn't distract himself by checking the news or listening to the radio. Instead, his focus was on making sales calls. For each call he made, whether successful or unsuccessful, he would move a paperclip from the full jar to the empty jar. By the end of each and every day, he took pride in seeing the empty jar now filled with 120 paperclips representing his 120 calls made that day. By focusing on this habit, he quickly saw his salary raised. Within 18 months, Dyersmid was bringing in millions of dollars to the firm. Shortly after, he parlayed this into another increase in his salary. He was now making three times his original salary. What does moving paperclips mean for you? It's all about getting into the right habit of doing things. So, how can we utilize the paperclip method on a day-to-day -day model for what you do? Start with the large stack of pennies you have lying on the kitchen counter and use them as a visual reminder of what you're trying to accomplish. If you want to do 100 sit-ups during the day, grab 5 pennies. Each time you do 20 push-ups, move one of those pennies. Or, if you want to write 2 thank you notes per day, either use the penny method or just simply put those 2 unwritten thank you notes on your desk 
so that they remain sitting there reminding you to write them. Visual clues are simple but powerful. It might not even be a physical object. My daughters taught me this. They were in the kitchen and I could hear my youngest Katya arguing with her older sister Sophia. I could hear Katya exclaiming that it was her turn. This wasn't anything new as my turn accounted for 50% of all arguments in our household. However, what they were arguing about was new. Sophia was recovering from surgery and needed to take a certain medication 21 times over the course of the week. As such, they would tally each time Sophia took her medication. They were using an old piece of construction paper and a black marker to draw a vertical line each time. They would mark four vertical lines. When they got to five, they would do a diagonal line to complete the set of five. Not only was it Katya's turn, but she wanted to draw that cool diagonal line to complete the bunch. Seeing how effective this seemed to be with Sophia diligently taking her medicine, the next day, I adopted the same ploy for writing. To be frank, while I was loving this project, I sometimes struggled with the writing aspect. I wanted to write for two hours per day. So, just like Sophia and Katya were marking off their medicine intake, I started to mark off 20 minutes of writing. When I got to six sticks or marks, I fulfilled my day. What a difference this made. Get creative on what visual clues work for you. It can be as simple as a series of handwritten sticks or paper clips. A timer is also helpful. If I'm unexpectedly interrupted, I'll stop the timer. Scheduling a specific time to write also helps. This varied depending on my travel and family schedule, but as much as possible, it was in the morning. My favorite days are those when I've already put in my two hours in the morning and I'm able to sneak in some bonus writing time in the afternoon. My hope is that all of you listeners get some bonus time today. And thank you for taking the time to listen to the Super You podcast. Again, this is a special episode. This is a snippet from my new book, The Focus Project, which we're giving away free. So I hope you're enjoying it. Please let me know which parts are helping you out the most. Again, this is Eric Kwame. Most of you know me as Equal Man. And reminding all of you, it's not what we take from the world. It is what we leave behind. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you.